Welcome to the podcast for Westside A Jesus Church. We hope this teaching encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus. My name is Tim McDonald, and I am the lead pastor here at Westside. <laughs> Thank you. I, w- I will say it's going to take me probably a little while to get used to actually saying those words out loud. Um, but thank you so much. You know, honestly, uh, this last week has been so amazing. Uh, so many people just sent Brittany and I kind words and loved us so well. Uh, we, we love this church. We love this community. Uh, and we have been really well loved by this community. And so we just wanted to say thank you. And, and uh, yeah, the best is yet to come. We're really excited about uh, what Jesus has for us in the future of his church here uh, in this part of the city and, and in this part of the country. So Hey, we are opening and starting a brand new series. We are in the summer series, that time where we kind of jump in. Uh, This is that time of the year when Oregonians start to like ask themselves, am I going to the beach or am I going to church? Am I going to the beach? Uh, You know, and then when you get thrown into the equation like a 99 degree day, which, oh my goodness, after having like what's felt like the, the winter that would not end, here we are. 99 degrees, like, wow, okay, that's shocking. So anyways, if you like, if you're home, just like, if your air conditioner just can't quite cut it, just let you know, today, I think it's 1.30, that's when uh, Jenny invited you guys to, we're gonna be eating here in this room, would love to have you guys uh, get to know any of the faces, maybe people I don't know in the room. Uh, and yeah, we'll, get it, we'll have a time, the food's gonna be amazing and we'll be able to enjoy the air conditioning together. Even if we just sat here quietly and just <laughs> drank it in. Uh, yeah, so anyways. This past year, uh, our elder team has been walking through all sorts of twists and turns. I'm coming out of like a global pandemic, coming, uh, navigating like a lead pastor search in the midst of that, all the while sorting through crazy financial implications and complexities while, you know, clarifying our own distinctives and identity as a church. There's been a lot going on. And uh, some of the questions that have kept coming to the surface have been in and around the Holy Spirit and how people should live as a result of his presence. Uh, Maybe it was because of the series that we did in Acts, uh, which in many ways, that first 10 chapters of Acts is like a history, a short history of the church and its relationship to the Holy Spirit. Or uh, maybe it was like this renewed commitment that we've had in these last several years to praying and really stepping in, which has always been a part of our DNA of our church, but we just really felt like God was calling us in the season. And stuff. Maybe it's because of that. Uh, or maybe it's just because of the fact that our culture in general seems to have kind of a fascination with spiritual things. Uh, that there's, there's been like a growing sense of like, we, we need to step into some of these questions. And so uh, we read this great book um, by Michael Green uh, on, I, I think, Receive the Holy Spirit or something like that. It was fascinating. We did it as, as an elder team. And after kind of like working through it, we kind of felt like, okay, now's the time. This is the time for us as a church to kind of take a swing at a, a Holy Spirit series. So we want to spend kind of the next part of the summer working through the scriptures together and thinking through and talking about the Holy Spirit and how we have a relationship with him. In the fall, we'll jump back into kind of going through some specific book or something like that. But for this summer, we really felt like it would be great to step into some questions. Questions like, who is the Holy Spirit? What, is it, what does it mean to actually have a theology of the Holy Spirit? What's the relationship between like Jesus and the Holy Spirit? And why does it feel like sometimes we can, those things almost, it's like Jesus and the Holy Spirit feel interchangeable at times. What's going on with that? You know, what are the kind of things that we see the Holy Spirit do in the scriptures? What does it mean to be guided by the Spirit of Jesus? We're hoping that we can journey 
together as a community to better understand this gift from God. This, a gift that Jesus literally said himself, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit could come and that we could have life with him. Like Jesus literally said that. And honestly, that's always been a hard one for me to grapple with because I don't know about you guys, I would just love to have like Jesus right there. I mean, would that be amazing? It's just like every Sunday, Jesus shows up. He gets up and says, hey, folks, I'm teaching today, you know? But Jesus himself says like, no, it's better that I go and send my spirit, the helper. It's better that I do that. And, and there, there will be reward. There's fruit in that. And so we want to spend some time like examining and thinking through that, talking through that. And in addition to that, we also want to kind of explore some practices, some real kind of concrete tools that, can, that the church has used for thousands of years um, we, some people might call them like spiritual disciplines to help us connect with God in like a daily way to help us learn how to listen to the voice of God, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now that said, we're going to start that journey today, this morning, by asking probably one of the most important questions that we could ask as a people. And it's this, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I made sure Ray provided me a large glass of water up here because I'm going to say that so many times today, I'll probably end up drinking this entire glass of water. But are you thirsty? The prophet pointing forward to a suffering servant, a, a holy commander endowed with splendor, spoke these words hundreds of years before Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Isaiah 55 verses one through three. In fact, actually, if anybody needs a Bible, just go ahead and throw your hand up and some really kind person will get you one. Um, but he spoke these words, Isaiah 55, verses one through three. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you, are, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Before we jump in, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for the fact that you are a good God that we can entrust ourselves to. And we don't even, we, we can't even begin to understand the complexity of, of who you are as you, as you are Jesus, as you are the Holy Spirit, as you are this good Father all at once. We don't, our little minds, we don't get, we can't get around them. But Lord, in this moment, we know that you are all of those things. And we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would be our rabbi, that you would speak even now through these texts. Move us, change us, redirect us, make us more like you. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was training for a marathon. I know. Maybe that's hard to believe for some of you. Uh, but I was training for a marathon. And uh, I was actually kind of in that last leg. And any of you guys, anybody here ever trained for a half marathon or a marathon or anything like that? Okay. 
So like, there's kind of like a bunch of different methodologies around it. Some people, there's this whole like running regimen and I had gotten one of those running regimens. So, and I was at kind of the later stages of it. So I was going out for my short runs and my long runs and my long runs were like, you know, 18 miles, like 20 miles. Can you imagine that? That's like, this is hours of running. Okay. Hours. And it was like at that point in the list where I was supposed to go out and do like an 18 or 19 mile run. And um, it was like, I was getting really close to my race. And so I, you know, got up early in the morning while kind of the sun was just kind of coming up and I grabbed a bottle of water and got out for my run, went, went running. And I remember it was probably maybe like an hour into the run and I went to, you know, take a swig of the water and it was empty. I'd already drank all the water. And I noticed that it was getting pretty hot. I had been sweating quite a bit. Um, but, you know, I'm an hour into the run and I was like in the middle of like nowhere running out on a dusty, like, you know, gravel road. And I started kind of getting that like little nauseous feeling inside, like, man, I'm, I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling so great. And it was, I kept running though, you know, like I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I, I have to, I want to finish this run. It's really important. I got to check the box on my chart, you know, and, uh, but I've started feeling more increasingly nauseous and suddenly the road started to kind of like tip a little bit on me as I was running. I don't exactly remember at which point I stopped and was sitting down on the side of the road, but the next thing I knew, I was sitting on the side of the road, like with my head between my legs. Uh, and I was like so sick, so sick. I had stopped sweating. Instead of feeling hot like I should feel, I was actually cold. Uh, I was all nauseous and I just had this mass, like confusion. I didn't know where I was. It was, why am I out here again? Uh, and then suddenly I'm like, I'm running and I am massively dehydrated. Maybe even heat stroke, I don't know. But I decided at that point, like, I need to figure out a way to get home. And honestly, it was a miracle that I got home. I remember jumping from, like, there was, like, farmer's fields. I was, like, went from, like, hay bale to hay bale to hay bale trying to get home. It was a miracle. My body needed water, and it needed it now. And, you know, they say that, like, you only have to be down, like, 3 to 4% of your body's water. Think about that. 3 to 4%, that's not very much, of your normal water levels before your blood flow starts to decrease and your heart rate increases and you become lightheaded and confused, disoriented because you're really, really, really thirsty. The words of Isaiah are written to a people after exile, okay? The first part of Isaiah is written to people going into exile. The second part is written to people who are coming out of or returning back from exile. And the people on the other side of this have experienced the greatest cultural trauma in all of their history. Their familial identity, their families, thrown up in the air. Where, they're coming back. Where is our house? Is our house even where we left it? Is grandma and grandpa's house still there? You know? Their cultural religious identity thrown up in the air. I mean, who are we as a people? We don't even have a real king anymore. And our temple and our, and our worship, it's all totally changed. Their theological identity thrown up in the air. Is God still trustworthy? Is he as strong as the other gods, those gods that seemingly defeated us? In the midst of all of this uncertainty, the prophet speaks to the people's deepest need. They were really, really thirsty. Everything around them was so uncertain. And in, in times of uncertainty, we become confused and disoriented, don't we? We begin grasping for things to try to, to satiate ourselves, things to fill us, things to satisfy us. The prophet says, come, come. 
Bring your thirst to God. Bring your hunger to the most high. He will satisfy you. It's an invitation of generous grace and it, and it alludes to back in Israel's history to that daily provision of manna from heaven, the daily provision or that provision from the water that broke free from that rock in Israel's desert wanderings, the water, the wine, this milk, it's coming from God's very hand and it's free. It's free of cost. The prophet cries out, are you thirsty? Come and freely drink. He challenges his listeners. I know your heart rates. They, they might be increasing and you might be feeling confused and disoriented. You're thirsty. But don't settle for substitutes. Don't pay for bread that isn't real or work for things that aren't going to satisfy. God is offering you the real bread from heaven. And it's not going to cost you a dollar. We get this, don't we? I mean, we live currently in a world that's kind of turned upside down. I mean, families are divided in ways that they've never been, either because of like transition or conflict. We've got culture wars that are dividing our nation, communities, workplaces, schools. Everything is the same and yet totally different. Church, this place that, that we thought should be above all of the conflict, tragically became ground zero for so much of it. God, we thought you were strong enough to see your people through this. What happened? Where are you? And slowly, as time goes on, temptation sets in. Maybe this little bit of like flirting at work will be fine. What my spouse doesn't know won't hurt them. And it does make me feel good. It seems to it seems to satiate something inside of me. Or, or maybe that biting word that I spoke about my teacher behind their backs, it'll be okay. It might hurt them. But you know what? When people laugh, it makes me feel good. The problem is the cost, right? It's the cost. Quenching thirst with a lie or filling our bellies with anger. It only leaves us more thirsty, more hungry, and our ravenous appetites, they cry out for more, more, more. If only there was something that could satisfy our thirst. Hundreds of years after Isaiah wrote this, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus would take a shortcut. That's somebody went, did it give me a woot for Jesus? Amen. <laughs> yeah. A Jewish rabbi named Jesus, he would take a shortcut through a land called Samaria, the, the, the enemies and traitors to the Jewish people. And at the wrong time of the day, he would sit down at a well in the middle of nowhere and wait for somebody to come bring him a drink. As it happened, a woman coincidentally showed up. A woman with a complicated past. And Jesus asks this Samaritan woman for a drink. And she's shocked, right? Because she, she's like, hey, I am a Samaritan woman. You are a Jewish man. Like you're breaking all sorts of cultural and religious rules right now, which is something that Jesus was actually pretty good at. And then we read this, John 4. If you've got your Bibles, flip open to John chapter 4, verse 10. Woman at the well, he says this. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus engages the woman at the most elemental level. If you knew who I was, you would actually ask me for water to quench this thirst. The woman catches quickly that Jesus is talking about more than just normal water and that this man that she's talking to is no ordinary rabbi. Are you greater than our patriarchs? Are you, are you greater than those who wrote our story in the first place? And Jesus sidesteps her question. And he pushes forward with his deeper agenda. The water that Jesus has on offer quenches the thirst that normal water does not touch. And in fact, its source is so deep that it will never run out. She's no fool. She asks, give me this water. But Jesus isn't done. And he pushes a little more. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back kind of cheeky question, since he knows the answer. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Not content with this woman's understanding of her own thirst, Jesus leans into her story with force. You've been trying to quench your thirst with the affection of men, finding your identity in broken sexual relationships. But the problem is the cost. And what seems to satisfy in the moment only fills you with more craving, more desire, and the thirst remains unquenched. The water I have on offer, says Jesus, quenches that real thirst and it brings the abundance of life, eternal life, that springs up inside of you like a well, like a, like a spring coming up out of a well. You know, the thing is that God knows that we are a vacuous well of desire. I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, right? We, we were created for relationship with the God of the universe. Let that sink in. We, we were created to have a relationship with God. And, and we were created to know him and be known by him for all eternity. Think about that for a second. Of course, our capacity for desire is off the charts. Of course, our thirst could only be quenched by God himself. C.S. Lewis has this popular quote. I just love it so much. He says this, if I find in myself a desire 
But as I'm looking inside of myself, if I find a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, how many of us, as we look, as we examine, we see inside of us, like, there is so much desire. There's only one thing that can quench it. This invitation Jesus extends to the woman at the well, an invitation to partake in water that will satisfy her deepest longings. Water that she was actually created to partake of. The water of life. Are you thirsty? Jesus says. Are you thirsty? Come and freely drink. No cost. This one's free, folks. From the spring of living water. The water that is real life. This provision of abundance, like the provision of manna in the desert, is free and it will satisfy you every single day. You simply have to say yes to the offer that Jesus extends today. And then the next day. And then the next day after that. Only a few chapters later, as if to kind of put an exclamation point on this conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus would stand up in this great feast. It was called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And it was this very feast that actually remembered God's faithfulness to Israel when they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. You know, when they, when they got manna from heaven and the water from the rock. And on the last and greatest day of that festival, read kind of like the rowdiest point in the party, Jesus stood up and he called out in a loud voice, John 7, verses 37. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone, anyone who can hear my voice, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, as the scriptures have said, living water, rivers of living water will flow from them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The apostle Paul, or the apostle John, he, he points to the reality that Jesus is that suffering servant from Isaiah. He is that holy commander spoken of prophetically. And Jesus steps into the prophecy and declares that the answer to the question, the answer to humanity's thirst is him. He has the water that brings life and that will flow. But John John makes a significant point of clarification, giving us kind of as readers a little bit of commentary on Jesus' words. He says, by this, he meant the Spirit. Capital S, Spirit. The water of life is the Holy Spirit. Jesus extends the invitation to be satisfied to all who could hear, everybody who could hear his voice. And in it, we learn kind of three really powerful and important realities from that invitation. First, those who believe in him will receive the life-giving water. It's a confident statement. It's, it's a defining reality. First, you, they will receive it. So acceptance of living water is predicated on following Jesus. And the word here for, for belief is the word pastuo. 
And it carries with it this idea of like committing oneself to a course. Like I'm all in. I'm locking myself into this run that I'm going on. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it through. So saying yes to the water means saying yes to Jesus. But second, the life-giving water, according to John, is the Holy Spirit within those who would believe and would later receive the Spirit's presence. The Holy Spirit would literally take up residence inside those who would call themselves all in. That source of satisfaction is not going to be some external thing. It's not going to come to me through something that I consume. It's actually going to be placed inside of my heart, this relational spirit of God. And then third, the life-giving water flow will, will actually be a flow. It will actually move. And it kind of begs the question, like, where is it going to flow to? And that's going to be a sermon for another day, but spoiler alert. The water of life it's for sharing. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for us. So the Spirit is the water that will satisfy our deepest thirst if we will simply come and drink. That is, if we will simply accept the offer of Jesus. And when we do, that Spirit comes and takes residence inside of our being. And literally, He apprentices our own spirit to the way of Jesus, bringing life and quenching our thirst. Are you thirsty? Asks Jesus to all who will hear, including those in this room. Come, come and freely drink. Get that thirst taken care of. From this spring of living water, that very water that you were actually designed to drink and receive the Holy Spirit who will bring life and place it deep inside of you. And all of this kind of begs this question, how? How do we do this? How do we step into this? And it's, it's there that I kind of want to spend the rest of our morning. Honestly, I wonder how many of us in our more honest moments, we hear the cry of Jesus and, and, and we look at our own lives and we say to ourselves, I, 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 love, what, I love that sound of that, but it almost feels a little too good to be true. This last week, um, my wife and I had the privilege of being at a conference with some pastors that took place in Lake Tahoe. It was beautiful. And uh, we were kind of in that one of those like session times and the, and the person speaking was, was talking about something, but like right behind them was like this kind of row of windows. And there was this beautiful lake. I mean, literally stones throw, gorgeous Lake Tahoe, mountains in behind, and the sun is setting. I mean, it was really hard to listen to the person speaking because you're just like, that's amazing. And as I'm like looking out that, there's like this little fly or moth or something and it's just bouncing against the window. It's like you got this gorgeous view and this like little creature is just trying to get out to, if it could just get through the glass, I could get out into all of that. It's, I'm just sitting here watching this thing, just wishing it on. You could do it, little guy. You can do it, you know. And, and standing right beside that window that he's bouncing is this wide open door. And I'm just like, just a little more to the left. Keep going. You've got, you just, a, oh, back to the right, back to the right. It's like, just a little bit more, this wide open door. You know, as we kind of sit in that image for a second, I'd like, I'd like you to consider a few ideas, three, three big ideas that kind of lead to three questions. Because 
I think often I feel a little like that moth. And I think God would want to challenge us. And so I want to invite you, even now in this moment, allow the Holy Spirit to, to push these questions into your own heart. To ask yourself, who am I? First idea. You were created to consume. Now, I know it's a little dangerous to say that in light of how often we rail against this in church. This might seem a bit counterintuitive, but in an age where we're wrestling with a deep addiction, these deep addictions to consuming everything from media to athletics, drugs, to, to crumble cookies, which are kind of the same thing, um, or, 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 you know, or sex and, 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 or worship music, like we're, we're, we're craving all of this stuff. There's a danger in mishearing what I'm saying but it needs to be said. We were created with the longing to drink deeply from the divine. Let me say that again. We were created with the longing to drink deeply from the divine. It's who we are. I'm reminded of Psalm 116. It's just a beautiful psalm. The psalmist explains that he loves the Lord because the Lord has heard his cry. And he goes on for like 11 verses describing all the amazing ways that the Lord has shown up in his life and shown compassion and goodness and graciousness. And then he asks this bold question in verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? In other words, how do I repay God for all that he's done for me? His response, Psalm 116, verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. How do you respond to a God that has given us so much? You say, more. I need more, Lord. You've created me to consume you your saving grace and love and life and all that you are, that's what you've created, this hole inside of my heart that just cries out for you. Consumption of many, most things, if left unchecked, can be deeply destructive, but when our thirst and hunger is directed at God, not just his gifts, we focus our deep need on the only person in the universe who actually has the capacity to meet that need. A powerful question I, that we need to ask ourselves as the church, as the big C church, is in light of where our true love lies, is if we could go to eternity, if we could spend the rest of our days in the, in the kingdom without the king, would we still want to go? If our vision of heaven is just as fulfilling without Jesus, would I still want to be there? If it is, we need to re-examine our heart, re-examine the things that satisfy our thirst. It is possible, my friends, and I say this with care, love, and respect, it is possible to be more in love with the Bible than God himself. It is possible to be more in love with that feeling that we get in worship than with Jesus. It is possible to be more in love with the benefits of salvation than our Savior. And this is 
doubly dangerous because we were created to come to him. And it's where we will spend all of eternity. The final chapter of the book of, the book of Revelation we get this beautiful picture of God welcoming people into the new Jerusalem from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. It's this just amazing picture of all humankind entering into this amazing home that God has prepared for us. And we read this in Revelation 22, verse 17. Amazing passage. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Yes, even there, even in the end of all things, we will come with our thirst and we will drink deeply of the living water. The end of our story is not the end of our desire. No, it's where our desire finds its fulfillment forever. The message of the scriptures are clear. We were created to be thirsty for God. So here's the question. If we were created to consume, the question we need to ask ourselves, and I just want to encourage you, just let's take a moment, just to let it land on you, is do you have desires in your life that have begun to consume you that aren't him? Have any of my desires begun to consume me Just take a moment. Just reflect. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Is there something that has like, gotten in the way that it's become the go-to for you to satisfy, to, to satiate yourself? God's saying, like, that was only supposed to be me. Second idea, proof of life. A few weeks back, we were talking through Acts 10 and discussing that moment where Peter comes to that incredible realization that God doesn't show favorites, that he accepts everyone who fears him and does what is right. And I asked the question, what does it mean to be accepted by God? And the answer was, was kind of like this combination, because remember, Cornelius hadn't been saved yet, so it wasn't salvation, it was something else. And it had to do with God's nature, his like relentless pursuit and our hunger and our thirst. Remember, Cornelius was hungry. Cornelius was thirsty. And I came up with this like little formula. Remember, God's acceptance equals his relentless pursuit and our hunger and thirst. A major part of God's acceptance is our hunger for him. Yeah, he does all of the heavy lifting, but it's our genuine hunger and thirst that shows that we're, we're for him, that we want him. And the thing is, what was amazing about the life of Cornelius is that there was fruit in his life that showed it. Cornelius was generous. He was generous to those around him. He gave regularly and he prayed regularly. And all of those actions, they pointed back to God. This was more than just wishful thinking or good intentions or lip service. Cornelius' life pointed towards his hunger. It pointed towards his thirst. I wonder how many of us wrestle in our thirst, but we never take the courage, we never take the step of courage to show our need. We know that God is calling us, but we can't bring ourselves to get up out of our seat and go for prayer. 
I mean, we can feel the thirsting ache inside of us, experience the confusion and the disorientation as the dehydration is setting in, but we won't step into serving. We won't step into giving. We won't step into participating in the body. We won't show the fruit of hunger. Is there proof of life? That's the question. Do I have proof of life for my thirst for God? As I wrestle in my thirst, as I wrestle in my hunger, is there things, do I have stuff around me that shows that, yeah, this is actually in me? Take a moment. Ask yourself that question. Last idea. Ruts and tracks. You know, I think often the greatest enemy of our experiencing the thirst-quenching power of the Holy Spirit is that we are entrenched in counterfeit forms of satisfaction. We've gotten so accustomed to trying to meet those deeper needs with the wrong cure, the wrong water. And for some, it feels impossible to break free. I mean, sometimes it's like when I was out for my run, I was like, I, I didn't want to come back and just take like a tiny little sip of water. I wanted to drink the whole glass. But the problem was I was so far away, I needed to get back to where the water source was. We live our lives so often trying to, to, to get to the water, but we're stuck in some other rut. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit today wants to simply use that same water, that same force to wash away the ruts. To wash them away and replace them with tracks. You know, the beautiful thing about a track is that you can point the track in the direction you want to go. What's a track? A track is simply some pattern, something in my life that I do that says, God, I want to be like you. And so I'm going to build this thing into my life that keeps me focused on you. I'm going to do the kinds of things, the kind of exercises, the kind of, I'm going to live the kind of life. I'm going to bring the kind of people around me that keep my life heading in this direction. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to wash away that rut and replace it with a track, you know, the end of my horrific run, I ended up getting sick. That's one of the consequences of getting like deep dehydration and, and heat stroke. I ended up getting completely sick. I missed my race. Months and months of running. And I missed my race. I needed more than just kind of getting a glass of water. I needed patterns, healthy, life-giving patterns you know, one of those patterns that I use in my own life, one of the tracks that I have built is this track of silence and solitude. Now, I know for some of the introverts in the room, you're like, finally, somebody's saying it from the stage. <laughs> See, this is my life. All the extroverts are like, I still don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> there, is, there is a way to craft our, our, our daily lives, our weekly lives that actually intentionally set aside space to just say, yes, Lord, I want to hear from you. Your servant is listening. And I get it. We're all busy. I mean, we are all busy, but we prioritize the things that give us life. 
And what would it look like to just set aside five minutes every single morning, five minutes to drink deeply from the well? Lord, I just want to hear your voice. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to shut everything out and I'm just going to listen to you. Question number three with ruts and tracks. What rut do I need to replace with a track? As you look into your own life, as you look into your own story, is there a rut that it's like, man, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to just wash this away. And it's time to replace it with this pattern, this habit. A number of years back, I was praying for a young man in that prayer room right there. And he came in and he was struggling with all sorts of things, but one of the big ones that he was struggling with was uh, he's just, he was just addicted to marijuana. And it was like, he was just brokenhearted over it. It was just like, this, it's wrecking my life, but I don't know what to do. And I got into this conversation with him, just talking, talking and praying him through, you know, asking him like, what kind of habits, what kind of things do you have in your life? And over the course of the conversation, I simply just laid out for him like, there is freedom here. But it's going to take a choice on your part. Like God, Jesus stands, he has on offer, like come, I've got the water. But you still have to say yes. You still have to step forward. And I remember the look in that young man's face as I like laid out some ideas and bringing community in and getting help from this place. And it was just discouragement and sadness. And he went away like the rich, man, rich young ruler. He went away sad. Not because the Holy Spirit didn't have life on offer, but because he didn't want it bad enough. And I wonder if, friends, that's not the invitation for us today. Are you thirsty? And here's the thing. You can have been walking with Jesus for like 30, 40 years. It really doesn't matter. Because all of us have another level, another depth of thirst, another way that we can step in, taking that next beautiful step. We were created for this. We were created for life. Thanks for listening to this teaching from Westside at Jesus Church. If you've been blessed by our ministry and would like to partner with us through giving, please visit westsideajc.org give.